Has anyone been getting through pandemic quarantines with jigsaw puzzles? We've got, we've got at least a couple. But whenever I start a jigsaw puzzle, if I'm going to work on something like that, the first thing you do is look at the box to see what is it that you're assembling, what's the big picture, and then uh, various ways of starting, probably finding the edges, separating out into colors, something like that. Wouldn't it be difficult if we just had the, the one first jigsaw puzzle and you had no idea what the rest was going to be? All right, well, there's going to be something red with just a little touch of black on the edge for this piece. It's a lot more helpful when we can see the big picture, when we can see that, maybe, maybe a Valentine's Day theme here. It's, it's a bunch of candies. All right, now when I start to put it together, I, I know how to put it together because I can see the big picture. The disciples still didn't totally get the big picture. They just saw these little pieces. Little pieces of what Jesus was doing, little pieces of who he is. And a lot of times we think, well, you've got enough pieces, you should be able to figure out who this person is and really understand this stuff, but they don't always. Sometimes it's like that for us too. We should know the big picture. We know who Jesus is. We know what he's done. We know what he's coming back to do to bring us to heaven. But sometimes we've got these little pieces in our lives, struggle and suffering or little pieces of what Jesus said, and we just try and figure out, what, what is he talking about? What does this mean? So today we gather, and we regularly gather to listen to Jesus, to prepare us for those struggles, and to ponder his words. So today we journey up to this mountain with Jesus. He's taken three special disciples. He tends to take them a handful of times in his ministry, taken out from the rest of the group, and they go up the mountain. At some glances as they're on their way up the mountain, he probably just seems like another human, as I'm sure he had to just stop for breath every once in a while on his way up the hillside. Another person, but they remember they've seen the glimpses. They've heard God himself say at his baptism, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. They should know his divinity and who he is. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him heal the blind, drive out demons. They may have even seen him raise the dead already. But they're about to get much more than a glimpse as Jesus reveals who he truly is on the mountain. And then from there, they would go down that mountain again. And it would be about six months until Jesus would climb another mountain, Golgotha, Calvary, to die. We're about to embark on a similar journey, following Jesus in his last days before he goes to the cross. And the journey is a struggle for Jesus, with the sins of the world on him and all the suffering he would face. And our journey so often is a struggle, too, with the suffering that we have. That's what we'll be, we'll be going through the Psalms on our Saturday and Sunday um, studies together as we look at the struggle that every Christian faces and, and the solution for that and the strength that we can find there, too. On Wednesday, we'll celebrate Ash Wednesday. We'll begin that journey. We'll join him in, in this struggle over sin and see him enter that val valley of suffering. Maybe you have some specific struggles that you're going through right now, too. 
Maybe there's the father or grandfather who is on hospice right now or the upcoming funeral. Uh, the, the family dilemmas. Maybe there's, maybe there's fear in your life too. Peter would experience some fear on the mountain because of the unknown and, and how we don't know how God is going to put all these pieces together to make something beautiful. Or, or fear because there's abuse in the house or a difficult situation with work. Or, or an unknown diagnosis will enter the struggling with Jesus. We see some of that fear with Peter because Jesus is transfigured before them. His clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. He's letting his divine nature show through. For just a glimpse, he's, they see that he's so much more than just a prophet. This is God revealing himself in the face of Christ. The glory of the Lord shines, and they were terrified. Kind of like the angels shining when Jesus was born. Peter and the other two disciples must have seen their own sinfulness so clearly when next to the holiness of God. Maybe they felt a little bit glorious for themselves as they were separated from the rest of the pack and only they got to go up the mountain with Jesus. Pretty good, aren't I? But it wasn't good enough standing next to a holy God. And they're terrified. Yet in some way, they want to stay. He's so scared he doesn't know what he's saying, but Peter says, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. They're seeing Moses and Elijah there with them, and they recognize who they are. And even though the glory is frightening for a sinner, they also know that it's Jesus. And if we can stay with him and avoid going back down, because he keeps talking about this suffering and this death, Let's just hang out here. Maybe there's a temptation for us to do that too. To stay in our comfort zones. To, to avoid going out into uh, places that are, that are dangerous. Sharing our faith with people who might just reject it. Let, let's, let's just stay here. Now that's not what happens for Peter. I, I don't know if they were listening to Jesus and Moses and Elijah and heard what they were talking about, but... The other Gospels say they were talking with Jesus about his upcoming departure. Were they hearing him talk about his death and resurrection and what all that means? But all of a sudden, there's this cloud that comes down. This bright cloud that comes down and it covers them. And then they hear the voice, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. A little bit of fortification for the journey. You've come to the right place. You're following the right person once again, just as God did at the start of his ministry, saying, yes, it's him, my son. I love him. Listen to him. Follow him. And then it's gone. And Moses and Elijah are gone, and there's no one there. They no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And that was enough. That was all they needed. Even though they could only see little pieces of what was to come, they get to go with Jesus. And that's going to make it all right. We sang in that first hymn, the ending from the last verse, If you bid us leave the mount, come with us to the plain. And Jesus would be with them. He'd be with them 
until they were no longer with him. When it got to the biggest struggle, the the night before the worst of the suffering, they would run away. And the ultimate revelation of Jesus' glory wouldn't be a bright cloud. Instead, it would be utter darkness from 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock on what we call Good Friday. And there would be no God from heaven opening his mouth and saying, Look at him! I love him! Just utter silence. Forsaken by God as Jesus takes our place on the cross. And God covers him with, our, with his wrath as he pays for our sins. But because Jesus would go into that valley and up that hill, he would do it so that we would be God's sons and daughters, whom he loves. Jesus still prepares us today for this struggle that is whatever struggle you're going through. This struggle of Jesus, seeing Jesus' sufferings and our daily Struggles against sin and life in a sinful world. He gives us his forgiveness, his presence, his strength, but he also gives us his word for every step of our lives. So did you notice that last thing that God the Father said? He said, this is my son whom I love, and he also said, listen to him. And as we hear God's word, that is going to be helpful for us. God the Father approves his work. This is my son whom I love. He's about to follow My will, now listen to him. There you will find comfort and hope. But what does Jesus mean when he speaks? What does God mean when he speaks to us in his word? It's it's a, a worthwhile question because you've probably noticed there are a lot of different Christian denominations in this world, a lot of different Christian groups who have different opinions of what God's word means when it speaks. So how do we listen to Jesus and know what he is saying? The disciples even struggled with this. They had some pieces, but they didn't understand how they all fit together. Isn't it just baffling that six months before Jesus would die and rise, after he's told them, He said, do not tell anyone about this until you've seen the Son of Man risen from the dead. And they keep the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. What does Jesus mean when he speaks? They they couldn't quite figure it out. Does Jesus mean that he's going to uh, rise out of our suffering and and give us strength? Is he going to rise into a position of government power so that we can finally take over and and run this land? What does it mean that he's going to come back to life after death? Is it some kind of a spiritual resurrection in our hearts? What could Jesus mean? Is he being metaphorical right now? They just had some pieces of the puzzle. Why do people have so much trouble accepting or hearing what Jesus means? Why are there so many different views of the teaching of the Bible? Is it because the Bible is such a confusing book that it's unknowable? I don't think so. The biggest problems always come down to sin in our hearts. Maybe it's because we're thinking, I don't like that teaching. 
So God couldn't possibly mean that. Or that doesn't fit with what my logic tells me, so that certainly can't be what Jesus is saying here. Or perhaps our tradition or a religious leader said that, even though it's in conflict with what the Bible clearly says, but I'm going to trust them instead. That's your interpretation, people might say. Lots of intelligent, knowledgeable people take it differently. Now, definitely there's some passages in the Bible where we just don't totally know what that particular passage means, and and it is open to interpretation, but there's not passages like that that have to do with major doctrines that our faith hinges upon. We'll arrive at different places when our theological system tries to balance the Bible with human reason, logic, or human experience. We'll come to a different place than if we simply let Scripture stand as the only infallible source of life and truth. And sadly, that there are differences in what different Christian churches believe. And we can't just say, well, those differences just don't matter either, because it does matter. Is there grace in the water and word of baptism that we baptize our sons and daughters in, or is there not? Disagree with me if you must, but don't say that it doesn't matter. It matters to them. Is there forgiveness in the bread and wine, body and blood that we receive in the Lord's Supper, or is there not? It matters to the guilty conscience who tastes and sees his forgiveness at the sacrament. Does it matter or doesn't it matter if there's strings attached and connected with God's grace or if it's actually free that Jesus did it all? Yeah, it matters. And yes, there's differences, but don't get so caught on the differences that we ignore the wonderful, connected unity of the Holy Christian Church here on earth. That there are things that are just so clear in the Bible that for centuries and centuries we can all nod our head in agreement and see this unity, the vast common ground that for those who recognize the Bible as the word of God. Think about all that the Christian church does agree on, the beautiful, clear teaching of the Trinity, the divinity of Christ and his full humanity, his atoning death on the cross for our sins, the forgiveness of sins. These are clearly revealed truth truths that are just there for the taking, for anyone who opens God's book and takes it at face value. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And we say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And one helpful thing that we can do as we interpret the Bible and see what it means is to keep putting the puzzle pieces together. Don't be content with just a little bit of knowledge of God's word, but we go and we open our Bibles at home on a regular basis. Not just randomly opening it, but starting in one section and moving to another. Because there the puzzle pieces start to get filled in and you start to see what God's will is and what his word is. And then when you come up to tricky passages, you can use this basic principle of biblical interpretation and let scripture interpret scripture. And that's what we do. We read God's word as his authors intended it. If we're reading a poetic section of scripture, we might anticipate there's going to be some sections that aren't completely literal because they're making 
comparisons and similes and metaphors, and we'll say, yeah, that's what a poet chooses to do. Or as Jesus speaks in parables, yes, there's symbolic meaning here. Some of those books like Revelation where there's all these big wild things going on, and no, that's not literal. It is a special genre of literature where we're seeing symbols pointing to one main point. And when we read the narrative sections that are simply telling us the history of what happened, we don't need to try and find special meaning there. This is what happened. It's historical fact from God. So when we come to tricky sections of the Bible, as we learn it more and more and put the pieces together, we can let Scripture interpret Scripture. If there's a tricky passage, we compare it with all the other passages that talk about that. And God's Word comes out in such a beautiful, unified way. So our prayer during this Lenten journey and always is that Jesus continues to speak and we continue to listen through his word. Sometimes it can be hard if you just have one piece of the puzzle to see the whole picture. In our own little struggles that we see, it can be hard to see the big picture of Jesus' love shining through, how everything will work out in the end. But when we know that Jesus entered our suffering with us for our good, we can get through that. We can have certainty that Jesus is with us every step of the way. When we look at just one piece of the Bible or a passage, sometimes it can be confusing. But when we keep on listening to the words of Jesus, it's clear. It starts to make more and more sense. The disciples didn't understand everything yet. What does it mean when he says that he would rise from the dead? What could he mean? But someday, someday soon, they would. And one night, three days after his death on the cross, they would be together, locked in a room together, afraid once again when all of a sudden he would appear. In the room with them, touch me and see me. A ghost doesn't have hands and feet like I do, flesh and blood. And then they would get it. Oh, that's what he meant. This is what rising from the dead means. It was so clear all along. It continues to be. Amen.